On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I talk about getting stood up by GB News. I speak about my new morning routine and I explain why I'm going into something called monk mode. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 140 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is the place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. And yet again, this is getting frequent, isn't it? I need to apologize for this episode being late. I'll be honest, I could have recorded it on Thursday and released it on Friday as an audio only podcast, as I sometimes do when I'm in Corby. But I'll be honest, I just kind of wanted this episode to be on video because there's a couple of interesting topics, a couple of things I want to speak about. And I thought that given the the additional distribution that YouTube gives this podcast and also the the kind of ways I can repurpose little clips from episodes like this when there is video. It would have been a shame to just put it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So here we are, four days late, five days late, whatever it is, sitting here in the meeting room in Wales. Uh, I got back here last night. I was in Corby last week. Uh, I was in Nottingham over the weekend, planned to stay for two days. Didn't get a lot of sleep on the first night, so stayed for one day. Uh, saw H in Nottingham, then came back to Corby, drove to Wales last night, and I'm here. And uh, it's been a productive day. I'm going to talk more in a minute about why today has been so good. Uh, but in the meantime, a few random little updates for you, as is always the case on episodes like this. The first is just to let you know that Ali Abdul's team have had to push back the recording that was going to take place this coming Friday to sometime in January or early next year. Um, if you follow Ali, if you're part of his newsletter, if you watch basically any of his YouTube videos, you'll know that right now he's writing a book. Uh, and to use the words of his assistant, it has essentially come to crunch time uh, for that book, which I guess implies that there's some sort of publisher deadline looming and he needs to get that done. So they've basically counseled as much as they can, including understandably things like the the recording we have. But I have been told that we will reschedule it early next year. So that's what we will do. Um, still speaking to other guests, still trying to get people booked in. Uh, you remember from my mini content related identity crisis a few months ago that since I kind of shifted direction of the guest conversation slightly, and since I tried to focus in on those three areas of happiness, productivity, and self-improvement, you will have no doubt noticed that there have been fewer guest episodes. But I would rather focus in on the the topics I really want to cover and bring you fewer episodes in the short term whilst I establish connections in the appropriate places to get those guests eventually, then continue down the path of this kind of general interest issue that I spoke about back then. So like I keep saying, I promise that there are guests coming. Um, the next guest episode will probably be mid-November so far. If anyone else has booked in before then, of course, they will be moved forward. But in the meantime, you're just going to have to put up with me for a little while. Um, on the topic of guests, actually, this was a really interesting one yesterday. So um, 
Mo Gaudat, the author of books such as Soul for Happy, an absolutely incredible author. Uh, somebody whose book, Soul for Happy, I know he has a few, but that's the one that really resonated with me, um, has probably sold hundreds of thousands of copies, right? His books, when they are released, are the biggest books on Amazon's bestsellers chart for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks afterwards. Uh, so I had been trying to get in touch with him through a few different uh, means recently. Didn't have any luck. And then I saw that a friend of mine met him at an event the other day and uh, Mo restoried the post, which told me that Mo checks his message requests, right? So I thought between knowing that he's looking in his message requests occasionally anyway, plus um, Diren uh, told me that you, when when I sent a message to him because it landed a message request, but I had the blue tick, it went to the very top of the list. I thought between these two things, I may as well shoot my shot. And I did. And I tell you what, I tweeted about this at the time the other day. Mo responded to my little text message with a voice note asking some questions, right? And I thought, shit, I'm going to have to respond to this absolutely enormous author whose work I idolize with a voice note now, right? He sent me a voice note. I need to send him a voice note in return. This is clearly his preferred method of communication. And so that I did. And it was genuinely the most nerve wracking, like 65 seconds of audio I've ever had to record in my life. Um, he listened to it. He played it. He hasn't replied yet. Will he reply? I don't know. He's a busy guy. He has to reject most of these opportunities, understandably. Uh, but that was just a fun little story about shooting my shot with guest outreach, because in the same way as the alley, conversation came about or will eventually come about through just shooting my short of a tweet. Um, rather than going through the official means as much as I have been doing so, so far with this podcast, I think I might just start DMing people, to be honest, tweeting people, shooting my shot, because for every nine that ignore me, if one replies, um, you know, that's a, that's a big guest every few months, which is good for me. Obviously it's good for you. And, uh, it's good for them because they get to chat with me. And doesn't everybody want to do that? Um, something else I told you about on this podcast last time we were sat together talking like this is that I was going on GB news. Now, if you don't follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you won't know this story, right? You may have tuned in that morning waiting to hear me talk on GB news. But if you were watching, whether or not you know this story or not, you'll know that I wasn't there, right? Despite the fact that I had booked this in with the producer. It was confirmed. I was told to look out for an email with a Zoom link on the, the morning of the show to join Michael Portillo live on the telly. Um, I was set up. The camera was set up. My microphone was set up. There were lights set up in my bedroom. I spent my entire Sunday morning basically prepping for this, right? Making sure that everything looked okay, making sure that the sound was appropriate for the show that they asked me to go on, that they booked me on. And then it got to, so that the slot for this particular segment was 11.15 a.m., right? As the producer who booked it in and confirmed it told me. And so it gets to like 11 a.m. And I still at this point hadn't had an email from their tech team. And I'm thinking, well, this is concerning. Like how soon before the airing of that segment was I going to get this link? And it got to, I remember the exact time because I phoned Richard immediately afterwards, like, look, turn off GB news. You're not, you're not going to see me, right? It got to four minutes past 11. And I thought, what I'm going to do, given that I tweeted about it when I was going to go on, although I didn't want to go into the studio. So I agreed with the producer to do it remotely. I searched the words GB news and podcasting. And a few minutes before I, just before I searched that on Twitter, there was some guy, didn't read his bio, not sure who he was, who was in the studio to go on to speak about podcasting, right? And so I thought, well, that's concerning. I have a funny feeling that they've 
swapped me out, but not told me because somebody else was willing to go into the studio, right? But I thought, I'm sure, like, I'm absolutely sure that this channel, which pitches itself as like the third serious player in the televised news world in the UK, I'm sure that if they were going to swap me out, they would at some point, either before, during or after the fact, let me know, right? That seems like basic um, politeness and professionalism when it comes to guest booking. I know a fair amount about guest booking. I probably booked 20 to 30 guests for this podcast, had to liaise with them, communicate with them, speak with publicists and all the stuff that's involved in it, right? I know the game, not amazingly well, but fairly well to the extent whereby I know what is and isn't kind of commonly accepted within what I guess they would consider a profession, right? Because these people do it as a job. So it's like, 10 past 11 at this point. And I'm like, I have a funny feeling that that's what's happened, but I'm going to message the producer who messaged me on Twitter. And I was basically like, Hey, I don't know if you're working today, but I haven't heard anything from the tech team. Do you know if they're going to be in touch? He didn't reply. Um, the next thing I know, of course, there are people in the studio speaking with Michael about podcasting, at which point, to be honest, I turned it off and I had to pack all the shit away because I didn't want to waste my whole Sunday having wasted my Sunday morning. So I didn't actually watch what they said. Um, but it was literally at the moment when I saw essentially my replacement on TV that I realized that I wasn't going on, if that makes sense. And so it was just this, this slightly surreal situation in as much as it's not a big deal, right? I don't know how many people watch GB news, but it's not like a big channel. It doesn't have a huge reach. And also like this wasn't a, a pivotal kind of press appearance in my opinion, right? I was essentially going on to, from what I understand from the premise of the conversation, as it was pitched to me, discuss how podcasting and people having a platform relates to free speech. So not even really my area of expertise, right? I'm not exactly a free speech podcaster. I mean, I know I come on here and I share my ideas, but it's in no way political or kind of that way inclined. But it was just bizarre that even to this moment, as I record this, eight days after I should have been on there, eight days after I messaged the producer to say what's going on, not only did we get to that point where I was essentially replaced without being told and then had half of my Sunday wasted because somebody couldn't be bothered sending a forward message just to say, sorry, mate, this is cancelled five words, you know, like you, you didn't need to say a lot of words. So it didn't need to be a big elaborate reason. Just let me know so I can get all my day. So I don't waste half my day. So I don't set up a TV like setup in my bedroom for no reason. Not only did they not get in touch before or during the fact, but eight days later, not a word from that producer, that message was ignored. Essentially they, the way I see it, just couldn't be fucked telling me because it wasn't convenient for them to tell me and so decided through their lack of professionalism to waste half of my day. Now I appreciate when I have a little segment like this on my podcast, it probably will frankly just blackball me from appearing on their channel, right? As in, if you were a producer working for GB News and you were about to book me to speak about something else in the future and you saw this, I would be completely understanding if you thought, no, fuck this, let's not book this guy, let's book somebody else. Fair enough, right? But I think it's important particularly because, you know, th this is a, a leverage mechanism, right? You listen to me and I tell you things. And in return for that, you give me your attention and your attention is worth something, right? What I tell you to do with your attention, if you choose to do it, 
is you giving me something, right? You giving me your support, you giving me your time, you giving me your attention. And so when I tell you somebody who has been kind enough to invest in watching this podcast for one episode, for 140 episodes, for whatever it is, when I tell you to go and watch something, and I know that many of you did, and then somebody can't be bothered doing a job in a professional way, so they fuck you around, that's when I take issue with it, right? Because frankly, I could care less whether I appeared on GB News or Sky News, because this here is the platform where I say everything I want to say, but I'm willing to take the risk of never appearing on that channel again for calling them out here, just because frankly, I don't want people to indirectly take the piss out of you. I value your attention a lot, right? Whether it is 60 or 600 people who watch an episode on YouTube or download on Spotify within the first day because, you know, it fluctuates quite a lot. There's that core group and then there's kind of a bigger group of people who sometimes tune in. Every single person who listens to this, I've worked incredibly hard to get, right? The fact that you were sat here watching or listening to this right now, frankly, is a kind of lagging measure of the hundreds and hundreds of hours of effort that I've put into this project. And so, it just annoyed me, frankly. I know I don't get annoyed a lot of it. It annoyed me that I asked you to go and do something on my behalf for me to help me out, essentially. And whether or not you did it, I still used up that goodwill with you, right? I still used that, if we're going to use the word leverage, to then just be fucked around. So that's that. That's all I have to say on it. Apologies if you were watching and I wasn't there. Not a lot I could do, but life goes on. Thanks for sticking around. It's good to have you here. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about really is a concept that I first heard from Iman Gadzi a few years ago, and he calls it monk mode. And it's an interesting name, but it is essentially planning a period of your life to live, I guess, as he puts it, like a monk, right? But not so much in a literal sense, but rather just stripping back to the bare necessities of what you need to get done for a sustained period of time to have focus and be productive and kind of move towards your goals, right? And if you've listened to recent episodes of this podcast, you know that I was doing the 100 days to Dublin kind of habit stacking thing where I picked out a bunch of habits that would be good to lead up to the final 100 days of this year and work on those. And we're like 35 days into that, give or take. But something came over me this weekend. And I'm like, actually, in the last couple of months of this year, not least because a few things happened. And I was just like, if, if I don't focus on improving myself, I'm just going to get dragged into a rabbit hole. Um, I was like, I just need to double down on what I'm doing for my sake to get stuff done, to keep moving forward. I just need to double down. And so I was watching a Hamza video on Sunday morning. And then that reminded me of Iman's monk mode thing. And then, so I kind of pulled on a few different videos, pulled on a few different habits of my own. And I created a Google sheet that for the next, however many days I managed to do it, I am essentially living in my own little monk mode, right? Which is basically doing all of the things that are good habits that move me towards my goals in a really, really intentional, really sustained, really focused way. Because as I've spoken about a lot recently, not a huge amount happens between now and Christmas. I'm going to be busy anyway. I have goals I want to move towards by the end of the year. And so with all of that considered, I thought it worthwhile to just try and double down. And so that's what I'm doing. So I have this Google sheet and there are let me just zoom in because my laptop is very far away from me right now to make this setup work. There are four, uh, there are 24, 24 habits that I'm trying to do every single day. And so I thought it'd be fun to just talk you through them and explain 
what each of the habits I'm trying to do every day between now and the end of the year are, what kind of plays into them. And then the reasons for some of them, because some of them are fairly obvious. Like the first one, make my bed. Like, obviously I've told you a million times the reasons why I think that you should be making your bed. But then there are some that are a little bit more rogue. So let me talk you through them all, right? This is my monk mode. This is what I'm going to be doing for the next, uh, I think it's like 67 days, 76 days between now and the end of the year. Uh, 75 now because we're on day one of this spreadsheet going to try and do all of these things for the next 76 days as much as possible right so the first like i said is making my bed every morning i've spoken about this a lot before so i'll brush over it fairly quickly but essentially i think that the act of when you get out of bed despite the fact that if you don't make your bed nobody's going to know that you didn't make it right and you're going to get back into it that night and mess it up anyway so why make it but i think it's important to have that contract with yourself that the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is when nobody is looking, you do what you have told yourself you're going to do to kind of set the precedent for the rest of the day. So make my bed. Then I've tried to order these kind of chronologically and how they happen in the day. They'll, they'll move around slightly as, as I tweak it. Today is literally day one of trying to follow this schedule. So here we go. Uh, the second one is a skin tech, skin care routine. So that used to be in my old habit traction habit tracking spreadsheet just washing my face uh, but i watched funnily enough ali abdul's science-backed skincare routine video uh, and he talks a lot about the importance of moisturizing and having some sort of uv protection in that moisturization so it's essentially getting out of bed first thing i do wash my face first thing i do actually is have an electrolytes and caffeine tablet but that's not in here because i mean why would it be but the first thing in this sheet that i do is wash my face moisturize uh, and then i get outside to have some am sunlight so I've been doing this since the 100 Days of Dublin thing started. This is something that I learned from Andrew Huberman on his podcast, essentially the importance of um, uh, dictating to your body that it is now daytime so that uh, cortisol, I believe, in your body begins to drop and you begin to feel more awake. But then on the back end, around 16 hours later, your body, because of its own circadian rhythm, knows that around 16 hours after you were first exposed to sunlight, that's probably around the time that you should begin to sleep because our evolution is far more intelligent than we are consciously and knows that there is around 16 hours in a day and after that you sleep, right? So getting sunlight directly into your eyes for around 10 minutes every morning, I've learned from uh, podcasts and content of Andrew Huberman's is really important. So for the last few weeks, I've tried to be implementing that into my life, including in this new monk mode thing. So that's what I'm doing. Then listening to an audiobook or reading a book, I'll be honest, I haven't, other than for uh, podcast guest stuff, I haven't read a physical book this year that isn't uh, something related to this podcast. But for stuff that I want to consume myself, I've just been absolutely smashing through audiobooks. The book I'm listening to right now is Ryan Holiday's um, Discipline is Destiny, I believe it's called. Very important and also incredibly apt when it comes to exactly what I'm talking about right now, which is just a, a ruthless dedication to discipline for yourself, um, towards yourself. So very apt. So listening to that, um, and then meditation, I have had a constant back and forth of trying to build a meditation habit. And when I'm on it, I get the benefits when I'm not, I think, fuck that it's a lot of effort, but trying to build that into my day. So the, the stuff that comes after that, right in the, the, the late morning, the afternoon, the early evening, when I want to be focused, um, all of the research basically suggests that starting your day like that, 
is is good. So I'll talk more in a minute about my morning routine and how that plays into it. Um, I'm using cold turkey blocker on my Mac, which essentially blocks all of the websites that I don't want to be using when I'm focusing, because although I've kind of been on and off of this for a few years, um, for this sustained period, like I don't want to be looking at stupid fucking websites or opening Twitter every seven minutes when I'm trying to work. So just turning that on as a habit, something that I need to actually tick off on a checklist to make sure that I do it is, is the next thing. Having a 30 minute outdoor walk every day. Now, again, this is one that has been on the hundred days tracking spreadsheet since about 35 days ago. Um, I've been fairly consistent with it. I've probably done it 30 out of the 35 days, but 30 minutes outdoor walk to get that sunlight, just to get some air, to get some movement, to get my heart rate up. Um, and I find if I do it around 3 p.m., it gives me a good few hours in the late afternoon, early evening to get back to the office on working days at least and really almost have a second wind of productivity that if I were to just sit in the office all day and not move and not have sunlight, I just lose those hours. So actually spending those 30 minutes not working buys me a few hours more of being able to work. Uh, now this new one, I say this new one, this next one is new and it's very interesting, which is that I'm trying to have no more than 200 milligrams of caffeine in any given day. I say trying, that is what I'm going to be doing in this new uh, kind of tracking spreadsheet because, and I've had this conversation with a few people recently, I don't know what has happened to my caffeine tolerance over the last few weeks, but I've gone from being able to basically just hammer coffee and caffeine and Red Bull all day and basically feel fairly indifferent. So long as I stop it at a certain time, let's say two or 3 p.m. and then I'm able to sleep. I was normally fine, but recently I have one coffee, I have two coffees and I'm already a bit jittery. I have anything more than that. And I have what probably feels fairly close to anxiety from nowhere, right? As in, if I look at these stresses in my life, there's nothing external that seems to be causing that. I don't feel particularly stressed or anxious about any sort of thing or situation. And yet my caffeine intake, when it goes that little bit too high recently, has just been kind of making me feel like I've been hit by a bus. So trying to cap that um, at 200 milligrams, which is around two and a bit coffees. Uh, so that's like the uh the the electrolyte caffeine tablet i have in the morning is 75 milligrams another coffee in the morning uh, when i get to the office and then maybe if i'm feeling kind of desperate in the afternoon i've allowed that headroom of like a a second very weak coffee or maybe a decaf coffee or something so that's interesting uh taking the vitamins i take nothing special there to tell you a little vitamin stack uh the the jury is still out it seems scientifically as to whether they have any benefit uh, but the expectation effect book that I've just read will tell me that actually, even if they are placebo, uh, that expected benefit that I get from them will be a real tangible benefit anyway. So I do that nice and easy. Uh, I'm back on tracking my macros because actually my body composition relative to where it was at the beginning of this year is a bit better just through eating fewer processed foods, just through being slightly more conscious of what I'm eating. But I haven't really this year at any point had a sustained period where I really track the food I'm eating and really make conscious decisions beyond maybe like the odd meal here or there. So for the rest of this year, like I did in 2019, like I did in some of 2020, getting back to tracking macros, um, uh, I'm in a slight, slight calorie deficit. Uh, and then I am having quite a high protein uh, diet. I believe the calculator I used told me to do 194 grams of protein, which is a fucking lot. I'm learning this today, right? It's, it's difficult to hit that. Um, but so long as I come somewhere near that, right? 
and stay on most days in that ever so slight calorie deficit between that and the gym stuff that I am doing, although it doesn't play particularly into this sheet, uh, which is basically a four day split. Uh, I just expect that 60 or sorry, 76 days of that will just do some nice body recomposition because I, I know that people like to sit on podcasts like this and say, I just go to the gym to feel good. I don't do it for anyone else. But I think everyone's lying when they say that, right? At least slightly. It's it's nice to prefer how you look to a previous version of yourself. And I don't anticipate that I'm going to get absolutely wham in 76 days. That's not what this is about. This is just about being that slight bit more comfortable with how I look. Because if I look at how I looked in the lockdowns, particularly after the second one, when I'd basically done 18 months of eating shit and not moving enough, like you may not have been able to see it when I'm clothed and on a podcast. I look in the mirror and I would have been like, fuck, that's mad. So um, like I say, through the eating slightly better this year, I've lost about four or five uh, kg just of basically body shape, frankly, um, since the beginning of the year because I weighed myself this morning. But I think that in the next 11 weeks, I can just do more. So that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, Drinking four pints of water. Don't need to tell you why I'm doing that. Really obvious. I've been doing that anyway, but I'm just making sure it's in the spreadsheet. Tracking my time. All of the time I do work-wise in an app that we use here at Pata. Um, That is a standard operating procedure of ours anyway, but just making sure that I'm being really diligent with that because it's really important to know where you're spending your time. Uh, From yes, a client billing point of view to make sure that we're charging our clients appropriately relative to the uh, input, but also just to kind of improve where I'm spending my time and make sure that I'm spending my time on the highest ROI tasks. Uh, Planning tomorrow, today, again, something I've spoken about a lot on this podcast, something I think that you should be doing, but essentially before I leave the office, I'll sit down and I'll plan tomorrow's work hour by hour time boxing in the same way that people like Nereo and Rick Pastor have spoken about on this podcast, just so you know exactly what you're doing and when and why, because if you're not planning your day, somebody is going to plan it for you. And if they're planning it for you, then you're going to be working towards their goals and not yours. Uh, Producing one piece of content. This is going to be a difficult one to do every single day for 11 weeks. Um, I probably produce five pieces of content a week if we're talking video content or a podcast. Um, It's possible to do one a day. It'll be a slight bit more effort, but I think it'll be worth it because I look at how the numbers are growing and it's fairly slow, but it is a steady, slow growth, right? There is definitely a movement in the numbers of subscribers and views and plays and followers and likes and engagement, right? And at least uh, logic tells us that this stuff grows exponentially. So just for the next 11 weeks to give myself the best chance possible from a content perspective next year, I'm just going to have as many at bats as possible. And the way I do that is just to produce a piece of content every day. Uh, and then we get into some more minor seeming things, but they all have their own reasons. So the next one is making sure that I phone my mom every day when I'm here in Wales. I'm fairly good at that anyway. I probably do it six out of every seven days, but I appreciate that she's at home on her own, right? My my dad lives in a care home. My brother lives in New Zealand and I live in Wales. And so that half an hour that I take out of my day is quite kind of low input for me. It doesn't take a lot to find half an hour. I can do it. And yet it probably means an awful lot to her, right? To be able to speak to someone for half an hour. So just making sure that I'm doing that every single day. Like I say, I'm fairly good at that, but just trying to get that a bit better. Now this one sounds silly, uh, but I will explain. So brushing my teeth twice every day, because I don't care what you fucking say. Everybody skips it every now and then at nighttime when you get in and it's late and you can't be asked. Um, But it's just a bad thing to do, right? Like it's so easy to 
spend those three minutes doing it. Of course, I brush my teeth in the morning, but there are definitely times when I get in from like when we have a meeting in London, I get in at 1 a.m. and I'm like, yeah, fuck it, going to bed. So just trying to not do that uh, by brushing them twice a day seems simple, but I put it in the spreadsheet so I actually get it done rather than just saying seems simple and then not doing it. Uh, resetting my desk every night and also tidying my bedroom every night. If you're trying to get shit done and your desk is a mess, I don't care about any of these quotes, which are like, a messy desk is a sign of a creative mind. No, a messy desk is a sign of somebody who isn't looking after their work environment and is choosing to distract themselves with a bunch of shit that's pulling them away from important work they should be doing, in my opinion. I value having a tidy desk. I think it is a sign that you are there to do something serious and it is a sign of respect for yourself. It sounds trivial, but I really do look at it that significantly. So I do that every night anyway, but that's in the spreadsheet for that reason. Similarly, um, not to sound like Jordan Peterson, but if your bedroom is a mess right now or your house or whatever, but like your living environment, if that is an absolute mess and you want to go and tackle other problems, like you really need to look smaller first. You need to shrink that scale of your issues right the way down and begin with the thing directly under your nose, which is making sure that your living environment, the place where you expect to relax and think and reflect, that cannot be a mess. So just make sure that I tidy my bedroom every night. Uh, similarly, laying out my clothes for tomorrow. Tonight, I've been doing this for the longest time. I probably haven't missed doing this in about three years. But again, it's in the spreadsheet to make sure I still do it. Removing that slight fatigue in the morning, especially when you're somebody like me who doesn't really enjoy waking up, of having to work out what to wear by just deciding the night before. So much easier. Really recommend it. And then these things, sorry, these three things are kind of related. So I've downloaded again the day one journaling app, uh, which is basically an app where you type a journal entry, it disappears. It will show you it again in a year and then two years and then three years, almost like Instagram or Facebook memories. But for journal entries, I'm basically free handing into that once a night uh, to just kind of talk about my day. But then inside of that, there are two other tick boxes in these habits. The second is gratitude journaling inside of that. So this is something I've been doing for a while now, but basically building that into the journal entry. And then the third thing is documenting one thing that I've learned because I consume a lot of content. I kind of have interesting conversations that teach me things. But if I'm not documenting that much, like Tiago explained on the episode about building a second brain, it's very easy to lose that information. Um, no news homepages. So this isn't quite as dramatic as what I did back in February, which was basically ignoring all news forever. But this is blocking myself and also stopping myself from ever going to like bbc.co.uk forward slash news or skynews.com or whatever the URL is, right? I'm happy to be aware of news. I think it's important to be aware of some ongoing current events, right? To have a kind of finger on the pulse of what's going on, particularly economically with what we do as a business here at Pata. But I think that's very different to dragging yourself away from what you're doing and treating the news as like an always on form of weird entertainment, right? Which is essentially what we use the news for, although nothing on it is particularly entertaining. These dramas that play out in these live minute by minute bulletings and live news update pages, they're not good for us. They don't teach us anything that we really need to know. Um, so similar to the logic from February, but in a slightly watered down way, if I see a link that's interesting on Twitter, and I want to learn about that topic, I will click on it, right? If I see a journalist on my timeline, I will read their tweet, but not going to news homepages to go out of my way to try and actively consume the news in any sort of regular way. And then the next one's interesting, mainly because this is something I've never tried before. 
but I have deleted Tinder. And I'm going to try at least for the rest of this year, but who knows, maybe for longer, to just not use Tinder anymore because Tinder has its purposes, right? Like I've been on a bunch of dates this year, which all essentially came from Tinder. It's great to meet new people, but when I actually reflect on the uh, the pros and cons of Tinder, the time and effort and energy and attention and emotion that you put into Tinder relative to what it gives back to you, which is the occasional match that you actually get along with and go on a date with. And then I look at the kind of, not to sound too clinical, but like the ROI of all of that. I just think it's a complete waste of time. And it's something I thought about for a while, but much in the same way, because it's essentially a social networking app, right? Much in the same way that other social networking apps are good at dragging us back in. Tinder, for me, has been very good at dragging me back in. But for the rest of this year, not least because I think it'll encourage me to go and meet people in other ways, right? to start a conversation with that person on a train platform if I think they look nice rather than being like, it's okay, I could just go home and type to people. Like I think that this removal of the easy option when it comes to meeting new people will force me to take the difficult option. And in taking the difficult option, it will force me to build skills that will be useful both now and in the rest of my life. And then the very final one is a midnight digital sunset, which is exactly as it sounds, just making sure that my phone is on the other side of the room by midnight. My laptop is away. There's no TV. There's no anything like that. So that by the time it gets to midnight, I am ready to sleep. Um, and that's it. That is my habit tracking for the rest of this year. It's very intense. Um, I don't think that I'm going to do it every single day. If I'm being honest, that's not necessarily the goal, although it would be ideal. The goal is to do it um, as frequently and as consistently as possible, because I think over 11 weeks doing all of those things, even 90% of the time, will be massively transformational in essentially every area of life, right? That's how I constructed that list. I pulled out, it was like wellness, productivity, health and fitness, and self-improvement. I think they're the four areas that I constructed that list of. So I kind of worked backwards rather than just pulling them out of thin air. And so, yeah, that is that. That was a long list. Thanks if you're still here. <laughs> um, I recommend you do the same. I'm, I'm not necessarily saying have a crazy list like that, but just for a sustained period of time at some point when you feel like you want to just firm things up in life. Um, I've heard good things about taking this approach. I think it's worth testing it myself and documenting it for you to then consider doing the same. So I'll keep you up to date. Um, and then the last thing to say just very quickly is that I have been getting back into having an early morning routine over the last few weeks. And it is honestly, I put this on my story today, it's genuinely magical what you can get done between 6am and 9am if you wake up early and you're intentional with what you do between those hours. So typically for this year, between 6am and 9am, I would be fast asleep, right? And I'd wake up at 9am and I'd get to the office by quarter past 10. And so I might be working properly by 11. And then it's like 7pm and I've just finished dealing with the last fucking work thing that fell into my inbox two hours earlier. And then it's a bit too late to go to the gym and then I go home and because I haven't had any control all day, I just kind of go to sleep and I'm like, fuck it, I'll start again tomorrow, right? If I'm being really honest, that's like the structure of a day when I wake up a bit late. But waking up at half six, as I have been, and then using those two and a half hours before 9am to do all of the stuff that I want to do, all of the stuff that I need to do for, for that spreadsheet we just spoke about, but actually really just for myself to make sure that as well as working on the business and the podcast and the content. I'm also just working on me as a person, right? Because I am the thing that 
dictates how much of those things I just listed get done. And so I wake up, um, I get out of bed, I get ready, like I spoke about in that spreadsheet. I then get into the car. I drive from the house in Wales to the gym. During that drive for around 30 minutes, I listen to an audio book. Um, I then park in a completely empty car park because nobody else is awake and in the town center where I go to the gym at that time in the morning and then walk from the car park to the gym. I go to the gym, I work out. The gym has private showers, so I then shower. I then get changed. I walk back to the car. I drive from the gym, the five-minute drive from the gym to the office, listening to music, get to the office, and then with this new spreadsheet, at least I did this today, I sit in this room and I do a 10-minute meditation on the Sam Harris Waking Up app. And so by the time it's like quarter past nine in the morning, when I would normally just be kind of rubbing my eyes and thinking of getting out of bed, with this new structure that I've been following for a couple of weeks, at least when I'm hearing whales, by the time I would normally be waking up, I've woken up, I've got ready, I've listened to 30 minutes of an audiobook, I've had that sunlight exposure, I've been for a walk, I've worked out in the gym, I've had a shower, I've listened to some music to get me in a good mood, I've come to the office, I've meditated, I've got my breakfast ready and I'm sat at my desk, by the time I'd normally just be getting in the fucking shower. And does that mean I lose some hours off the back end of the day because I need to go to bed earlier? Yes, but when was the last time anything worthwhile happened after 10.30pm? Like ever in your life, unless you're trying to pull someone in a nightclub, I don't know. But like generally, we just sit and we do nothing at night. And so moving those hours to the beginning of your day and using them for yourself, and it's early days, but it genuinely is incredible. I spoke about this in February when I did it. I sustained it for a few months, then it fell off because summer happened. I'm really determined to, at least for the rest of this winter, use those first few hours of the morning to just push things forward. And I think that's it. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. Um, and I'll see you back here this time next week. <laughs> that delay there, I was trying to think if there was anything else. I don't think there is. So look, thank you, as always, for listening. I do hope you have a good week. And I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 141 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.